Dr. Long. Thank you to our musicians as well. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Luke. Luke chapter 9. We'll finish this chapter today and then uh, also read down through verse 12 of chapter 10. So Luke 9, uh, beginning in verse 57, and we'll read down through 1012. Let's hear God's word together. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet uh, no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your word, Lord, we pray for your wisdom. Uh, We pray that your spirit would guide us to the truth that you would have for each one of us in this passage. Uh, Lord, speak to us in a mighty way. Uh, Lord, motivate us to go out into the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Travel instructions. Well, one of the things that that I have come to appreciate over the course of my 10 years or so of of church camp, and now as the the camp director, uh, is the importance of clear and concise instructions. Uh, You parents, you know that every year in the little registration packets that come out, there's all this information, right? There's always the, the sheet that tells you what to bring, tells you what night not to bring. Uh, there's usually a list of activities that are going to happen there at camp. Uh, and there's usually a sheet that tells you what to do if something goes wrong, which is always a, a possibility. You need that sheet always. Uh, now, some of you probably have realized this, painfully maybe, but at least when I first started, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to those sheets, You may, some of you parents especially, may have picked up on that fact. Uh, I tended to just sort of uh, fly by the seat of my pants, which is my normal MO anyway. 
Uh, but look, I felt like if I got the kids there, then I had done 98% of the job, right? If we got there in one piece without too many uh, mishaps, then, then we were doing just exactly what we were supposed to do. But that all changed the first time I went to French Camp, Mississippi, to NVP Camp. I've told Ben and Avis this before, uh, but that first year I went, I got there and I had no clue what was going on. Not a sing- I mean, I was lost as a person could be. Now, honestly, if I had read the instructions, I probably would have had some idea of what was going on. If nothing else, I would have been able to ask the right questions when I got there. But as it was, I was underprepared, and I really was. I was lost as a goose. Now, I tell you that not to make you question your decision to send your kids with me all of these years, uh, but I tell you that to simply say that, that when you're traveling or when you're going somewhere new or when you're doing a new job, we all appreciate the clear instruction, right? We know the value of detailed, clear instructions and, and of heeding those instructions, of actually reading them and taking them to heart. Well, in our passage today, we find Jesus giving uh, something like those kind of instructions, right? Uh, He's giving travel instructions to this group of 72 followers who he's sending out into the world to be evangelists. Uh, And and he's he's preparing them, this kind of short-term mission group, uh, as they go out two by two, he says, into every place where he would go to spread the gospel. Now, it's important, I think, for us right here at the beginning uh, to notice that there doesn't seem to be anything particularly special about the individuals in this group. Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. I I don't say that to disparage them. I don't say that to take away their value. I just mean that as we read, Luke doesn't say anything specific about them, and neither do any of the other gospel writers. We don't know who they are. Uh, We don't know anything about them personally. And so it seems to me that the point that they're making are these are just 72, uh, I put it in quotation marks, normal Christians. These are just 72 people who have decided to follow Jesus, and now he is preparing to send them out. That's important for us simply to say, you'll remember that, that this is not the first time in this chapter that Jesus has sent someone out, right? This chapter began with who? He, he sent out the 12, right? He sent them out to go and to come back and report. And we don't have to recover that ground, but if that was all Jesus had done, if that was all we had known about evangelism, that these 12 were supposed to go out, I think our feeling would be, well, look, this is a job for those who are special, those who have been called in a special way like the 12. But now, now having sent out these 72 It's a reminder to us that that the work of evangelism, the act of taking the good news out, it doesn't belong to just a certain set of God's people, but it belongs to all of God's people. Every one of us have been called to go and take the gospel out into the world. Now, whether we do that with our actions, whether we do that with our words, God has given us all different gifts. But the truth is, as he sends us all out, as he has sent these 72 out, and now look, I realize that, that uh, for many of us, and more importantly, Jesus realizes that that's not everyone's forte. Not everyone feels comfortable going out with the gospel in that way. And so here, as I said, he, he gives us some kind of preparatory instructions. Uh, first, he's going to give us some final cost. Uh, he's going to give us some, some 
things to prepare for as we go out, the way we may be received, the things that we're going to have to face. And then secondly, not only is he going to give us some practical details, the things that you need to take with you, the things you need to keep at home, uh, he's also going to show us the, the power that we need. Uh, he's going to show us who goes with us in order to make our efforts successful. And so here, Jesus, he gives us these travel or evangelistic instructions. And the question for us is, will we heed them? Will we do what Jesus calls us to do here and follow him? Well, that's the question before us this morning. So let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to consider here are some final costs. Some final costs. And you see it there at the end of chapter 9 in verses 57 through 62. Now look, we've spent... Uh, more time than I had intended here in chapter 9. And again, I don't want to reteach it, but just remember where we have been here. You know, Jesus has, has allowed the truth about him to come out in a way here that he has not allowed prior to this, right? Peter has confessed who he is, and Jesus has begun to try to tell them exactly what it is he's come to do. He's going to his death. He set his face towards Jerusalem. So he wants them to understand that. Uh, but more than ever, he has also began to warn them, to tell them what exactly it is that they are going to face, that they are going to have to do. He's been giving them these costs. Well, here, he, he kind of wraps all of that up. He gives us, in these encounters that he has with these three men, these would-be followers, uh, some final things to consider, some final cost to count as we look to follow Jesus. Now, it's, wor it's worth noting, I think, uh, here with these three, uh, these three potential followers, uh, that if gaining followers was Jesus' goal, right, and that seems to be the point that we're getting here. He sends these 72 out in order to gain followers. If that's his point, uh, he seems to be going about it a, a weird way here at the end of chapter 9, right? Uh, we're going to see how these three men approach him, and they approach him with a willingness to follow. But Jesus seems, again, as he has done throughout this chapter, to kind of pour cold water on their efforts. I think, really, what he wants to do is he wants all of his people to understand what it's going to mean to follow him. He wants them to have a clear picture. You know, all of us would say, yeah, come on, come follow us. He wants to make sure we all understand exactly what it is that we are getting into. And so notice, there with the first man, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. Again, we say, all right, here's, here's somebody who is ready to go. He's, he's eager. Uh, he's got a little bit of vibrato. He's ready to follow Jesus. But notice what the Lord says to him. Uh, these familiar words, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's interesting, isn't it? He says, look, look to creation. Look to these animals, the, the foxes, the birds. They have a place to go and to call their own. When, when night comes or, or foxes during the day, I know this because we have foxes that live outside of our house and they scream all night long. So during the day, the foxes, um, when they get ready to bed down, they have a place to lay their head. He said, but the Son of Man, God in the flesh, he has left his home. He has left his Father to come to a place 
where he no longer has a place to lay his head. He no longer has a home here on this earth to call his own. And the point is, is if, he, if you follow him, he is going to call you to do the same. This is the reality. You have to be willing to give up, even your home. I read an account this week of a missionary who had left America and who had gone to Europe. Uh, and when she got there, she reported just kind of having a sense of homelessness. She, she didn't feel like she was in her place, right? And we can relate to that anytime we leave home and go somewhere else for any extended period of time. We have this kind of homesickness, and she was feeling that. But I want you to hear the, the words that, that she says as she writes. She says, then today, having feeling, felt this way, she says, then today the Lord brought transcending comfort through a special wise friend who had experienced this same sense 16 years ago when the Lord moved her family to Europe. With resonant empathy, she breathed words of encouragement straight from the word of God into my heart. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. She quoted to her from Psalm 90 in verse 1. So she reminded me that the Lord himself is my dwelling place, the place that never changes, my home. A sense of stability began to infuse me and the fog began to run away. Friends, here is the truth of what Christ is trying to push across to us. Yes, we, we may have no place on this earth to lay our head, but he, he is our home. He is our dwelling place. He is the place we run to. As we read in the psalm this morning, he is the, the shelter that we seek. He hides us. And so it is Jesus, it's, it's in him that we find our home. Secondly, uh, the second man, he, he comes to Jesus, uh, and he is, uh, Jesus speaks to him first. He says, you follow me. Uh, and notice what the man says there in verse 59. Uh, he says, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Now, again, seemingly this is a reasonable request, Right? Uh, it's an attempt to, to honor his parents, as Christ clearly has taught people to do. Uh, but notice Jesus' response in verse 60. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In many ways, this, this seems like a harsh response, right? Uh, it seems like an insensitive response on the part of our Lord. Uh, but there's a couple things we need to, to realize here. First, we need to understand the cultural background. What's going on kind of in that culture, in that time? Uh, well, some have asserted that, that really what the man is asking to do is not to go bury a parent that has already died, but he's asking to go and care for a parent until he dies. They say that in that time, if the father had actually passed away, that he would be mourning there with the body. You wouldn't leave the body until they buried it. And so the fact that he's there with Jesus means that the man must still be alive. He must still be uh, uh, on the, in the process of going down. And so maybe what the man is asking to do is really a long-term thing. Now, that may be the case, uh, but either way, uh, the burial practices at that time, especially in Jewish, Jewish culture, could have taken up to a month. And so, again, the man is, when he says, let me go back, he's not asking for, for a day or two. This is going to be a long-term situation. But still, we, we might say, well, look, it's his, it's his parent. This is a reasonable request. This is something that, that we would expect the Lord to want him to do. 
The second thing I want you to notice here is let's really consider what it is that the man says. He says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, the most important thing for me to do right now is to bury my father, is to bury my my parent. And after that, then I will follow you. And Christ's response, uh, Christ responds as he does to, to make the point, almost shockingly, that actually nothing is more important than following him. Now look, he, he's going to say to the Pharisees, he's going to ridicule them for not caring for their parents because of religious reasons. They, they don't care for their parents, and they say it's because of their religion. And, and Jesus ridicules them for doing that. But the point that he's making here is there is nothing, not a single thing, that is more important than him. He is first. You know, I often give Sam a hard time uh, because I'll ask him to do something, and his first response is usually, well, just hang on, just hang on, let me, let me do this, or let me do that, let me look at this on my phone, or let me, and I'm like, no, as your dad, I want you to do what I say the first time. I don't want to wait. I don't want to have to listen to any of that. I want you to do it right then. Now, friends, think about how often we are Sam to the Lord. Think about how often we read in his word clear instructions, or he places a burden on our hearts, and our first response is, Lord, just just wait. Let, Let me go do this. Or let me get to this place in my life. Or let me have these things. And then I will go and do it. I will go and do what you say. Jesus' point here is that there is nothing more important. There is nothing that we should not be willing to put aside in order to follow him. Uh, As one commentator says, he says, If Jesus is God's son, our first duty is towards him. A man who considers that he has a prior duty to fulfill before he is free to become a follower of Christ has no concept of who Christ is. As Ben reminded us this morning, Jesus demands he will have nothing less than first place. Now that leads us right into this third man who in many ways is similar to the second. Uh, There in verse 61, he says, I will follow you, Lord, But let me first, there's that word again, the the priority is the issue. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. Now again, uh, it's a reasonable request. Any of us who are going to leave home for any amount of time, we would want to go and say goodbye to those people that we loved. We would want to go say, hey, I'm going to be gone. I may not see you again. I love you, right? But I want you to imagine that that you're going to say goodbye, not just for a vacation, uh, but that you're going to say goodbye, and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Maybe some of you veterans, as you got prepared to go to war, to go overseas, something like that, imagine that in your life. And when you get there to say goodbye to those people that you love so dearly, what's going to be the desire of your heart? Not to leave, right? The desire of your heart is going to be, I want to stay here with these people. Friends, that's the the point that Jesus is trying to make to this man. He says, if you look back while you are plowing, what's going to happen as you plow? Lines are going to get a little crooked, right? Some of you may have seen the commercial, and I love it. 
The man is kind of fantasizing about riding his motorcycle, I think, but he's trying to draw lines on the baseball field, and when he comes back to himself, he turns around, and he's just like all over the place, and the guy says, oh, Carl, what have you done? I love it. It's It's perfect. Um, having drawn lines on a baseball field, I understand his pain. Uh, but that's exactly the point that Jesus is making. As we follow him, if we look back to those things that have gone on, before, gone behind us, we're bound to, to lose our way. We're, we're bound to, to have twists and turns. He's saying to us, keep your eyes ahead. Keep your eyes Focus. Whether the things that have gone behind you are good, as here, he's, he's going to say goodbye to those he loves. Whether it is bad that the sin and the guilt that is behind us, that, that the Lord has already forgiven, whatever it is that is behind you, he says, leave it behind you. Look ahead. Look ahead to the truth of what is to come. Uh, one last quote, J.C. Ryle. He says, uh, those who are tempted to look back want to go back. And if we are looking back to anything in the world, we are not fit to be disciples. Jesus calls us to follow him with a focus, a focus straight ahead. Now, obviously, those are, are, that's a hard calling. It's a hard thing to do. But again, he will have no place but, but first place. Now, uh, it's with all of that in mind uh, that Jesus goes on to appoint these 72 there at the beginning of chapter 10 and in verse 1. Uh, and really, in the verses that follow there, he, he's going to show some of the costs that, that he's been warning them of, right? He's going to send them out, and he says, I'm sending you out as lambs to wolves. He's going to tell them, hey, you're not going to have really any place to call your own, but you better just find somebody and stay with them, somebody who will care for you. You're not going to take anything at all with you there in verse 4. Uh, But notice he's also going to give them great encouragement. He's going to give them great assurance, assurance of God's protection, assurance of God's power with them, and assurance of his presence. Now, look, it was my plan to try to get through all of this today, but obviously we have uh, turkey and things that are waiting on us, and so I think uh, it might be best to to stop here because we have a lot ahead of us. Uh, and to take this up next week. So consider that just a preview if you're interested of what we will see next time around. But before we close, before we close, let me just finish by saying this. I hope that you have been able to, to see one thing in, particularly in, these, in particular in these verses that we've studied. Uh, Jesus speaks to these men with urgency, right? That, that is the, the kind of overwhelming feeling as he wraps up chapter 9. It's this sense that, that he is pushing. He is really uh, trying to get these men to see that they need what he has immediately. They don't need to wait. They don't need to hesitate. They don't need to look back. They need to follow Jesus, and they need to do it now. It reminds me uh, of the author of Hebrews, of what he says to his readers in Hebrews chapter 4. And you can turn over there if you want to. Uh, But you remember here, he has brought up that first generation of Israelites who who did not enter into the promised land because they sinned against God. Uh, And he quotes there uh, from Psalm 95. Uh, He says, and again, this passage says, they shall enter my rest. Uh, Later on, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Then he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, 
of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, what's his point here? saying, hey, while it is today, understand that our position is precarious. Our position is desperate. We are all exposed before the one whom we have to give an account. And so what do we do? Well, look at what he says there in verse 14. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. What do we do? We run to the great high priest. While it is today, run to the great high priest. He who has sat down at the right hand of God. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He says, run to Jesus. And friends, if we can leave ourselves with nothing else from these words of Jesus, certainly he has given us great costs, costs we need to consider, but that urgency, if I can say nothing else to you, is don't wait, don't delay, follow him. The opportunity, while it is available, seek him. Follow this great high priest. He who in chapter 12 and in verse 2, for the joy set before him, the one who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It is he who calls you. It is he who has given you these great costs. The question is, is will you follow him today as we pray together? Father, we, we do praise you. We rejoice uh, in the truth of who Jesus is. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to consider what he has called us to. Uh, Lord, that you would help us to consider uh, the things that we have placed before him. And the truth is, in our sinful hearts, Lord, we are always prone to do that. We're prone to build idols. We're prone to love the things of this world, created things. We're prone to love ourselves uh, more than we love our king. Uh, but Lord, as the author of Hebrews has reminded us, he has loved us with so great a love that he went to the cross for the joy set before him. And so, Lord, there is no one greater uh, to sacrifice ourselves for. There's no one greater to give up our lives for. Uh, and so I pray that you would make us faithful to do that. Help us to see that it's only in that giving, only as we die to ourselves and live in Christ, uh, that we ever truly begin to live. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you would prick our hearts. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for, for who he is and what he has done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.